it just started raining. Let me run outside real quick and make sure my windows aren't down. I don't think you have to worry, Sean, because garbage is pretty waterproof. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm Alan Girding, and with me is this gentleman via the internet all the way in Dallas. Although I'll be in Cleveland on Sunday, so I'll be seeing you soon. Yeah! We're going to be together this weekend. So who are you? I'm Sean. You probably know that if you're listening to this podcast. Hey, we're going to do a couple of things. We're really bringing back interaction satisfaction. My hope is that you, the listener, write into emails and we reward you by going over your emails on this podcast. So we have that. We're going to knight a knave today. But also, Sean... I want us to begin by talking about how we're going to give away some of these very odd world championship Russian roulettes. What do I mean by that? Yeah, so when we were making Russian roulette, we tried out a bunch of different manufacturers and got quotes from a bunch of different people, which you should do if you're a beginning publisher. And one of them actually was able to do quantities that were really small, like a quantity of one or 10. Now they're more expensive, but they would be willing to do it. And so we ended up going with a different manufacturer for the mass production run, but we decided to get 10 copies made, this very small run, from this other manufacturer, both to test them out. And if they did really well, then we could send them to reviewers ahead of time. We got them and they actually did really well, but we made some last minute changes to the base game some minor things. We added a couple blank cards, things like that were based on the sheet sizes of the game. So you print out cards in these giant sheets and then you cut them down into individual cards. And we weren't able to make those changes to these, what we would call prototype copies in time. So, you know, the rule book will say things like, oh, it's got 56 cards, but the prototype only has 55. And it's not game breaking by any means, but we realized if we sent them out to reviewers, we'd have to add all these caveats like, hey, just so you know, this whole story Sean just told on the air, that's basically what happened. Your game isn't broken or anything. still plays great it's just a minor difference based on manufacturing costs we thought that would already be like starting us off on the wrong foot with reviewers (laughs) caveating their game all to hell and they usually just don't like reviewing non-mass production quality games. Right. They want the final product. They want the final copy. They want to see it, say, I've felt it. I've touched it. This is exactly what it's like. My experience will be your experience. Exactly. But these are high quality prototypes and we want to find a way to give them out. Probably a lot of our listeners already have a copy of World Championship Rush Roulette, but we're really interested in hearing who and what the best way to distribute these copies would be. Who would get a lot of use out of them? What are some creative ways we could get them out there? Just so we can tell Tell more and more people about this awesome game. I want one myself just because in my shelving behind me, which is just, I guess, another random interesting thing about me, number 29, I keep all the editions of all the games that we make. So it's like a little bit of a museum. I turn around right behind me, I see the white box of Two Rooms and a Boom, the catastrophic copy of Two Rooms and a Boom where the cards were transparent. I have the first print run, the second print run. You're very sentimental about your prototype copies, I've noticed. You're not a hugely sentimental person. No, but I'm sentimental about the games because I think it's also cool. I think it's uh, an art piece. It's my museum, it's my collection. So you go through and like, hey, this is a little bit about me, but I think it's a story in of itself. That's kind of the point is we want 
you listeners to have the same opportunity with these special editions World Championship Russian Roulette as you've already discussed. How can we give these games away while promoting the game and increasing, I don't know, popularity? I mean, this is definitely a marketing scheme. We want to use it for marketing, right? I don't think we should be ashamed about that. Yeah, we want to get them in the hands of people who would enjoy them. We probably don't want them to give them to people who already have the game. So if you have one set and you like two, it's not a great way to get rid of it. But we're just trying to find what, what would be a good use of these games that are not exactly like the production copies, but are really close, other than just putting them in Alan's museum of love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah. Speaking of free giveaways, Sean, we're definitely giving stuff away at our live podcast recording at Gen Con. And I was wrong because last episode I said I thought we'd be sold out of tickets by now. But I haven't seen any movement in the last few days as far as ticket sales go. And when I say ticket sales, they're not really sales because they're free. We want every seat taken so that we can give everyone some free stuff. Where can they go to sign up for those tickets? That's a really good question. You just go to the Gen Con website and right at the top left, it will say events and you search for events. The easiest way to search for it is you just type in podcast because sometimes our search engine can be wonky woozy, just podcast. And then we're like the seventh down. It says live Tuesday night podcast. Clickly click sign up for free. Hey, Sean, speaking of interacting with our listeners, how about we go into the cobwebs of our closet and do a segment that we should do more of, Interaction Satisfaction. Howdy. It's time for Interaction Satisfaction. Shoot us your emails, your comments, or your questions. We'll do our best to answer them. Woo! Sean, some of these are backdated. You want to go first? Sure, yeah. This one comes all the way back from May 3rd, 2017, A Simpler Time. Yeah. This comes from a guy named Norkel Larfin Snarf. This is alias that he goes by. <laughs> it's a good one. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like it. It is a good one. Norkel Larfenstarf. It sounds like a bad guy from uh, the Smurfs. <laughs> he says, thank you for the one minute or so on my recent walk while listening to the podcast, uh, episode 79 in particular, where Alan goes to New York. He has open earphones and he couldn't discern the difference between the background chatter in the podcast and the local ambient city sounds. Uh, after only a minute, he now understood how quickly voices in your head begin to distract and interfere with your thinking. He says, I have so much empathy for how schizophrenics live in this world. Minutes before that, I was reflecting on how much I enjoy Alan's edits with peaceful tunes during reflective pieces. Oh. All the same, love the podcast, appreciate all the effort, blah, 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 who cares? No, no, so like in the New York episode, I had some New York City background sound effects going. So he was actually in the city and couldn't tell, that's hilarious. Yeah, it is. It's it. That's like the scariest thing to me about sort of schizophrenia. And I've I've done some of those. I don't know how accurate they are, but they do like these um, YouTube clips that are like, here's a simulation of what it's like to hear this stuff in your head. And I don't even know how you'd produce that because communicating what's in your head is so difficult. So stupid. Jump in front of the car. Go on, go on. Do it. Do it. No, 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 don't. Don't. Friend across the road. 
If you've ever been up at night and you hear something happen and, and you're not sure what it is and it sounds so ominous until you actually put together what it is and then it's like your brain can totally sort it out. Oh, that was uh, ice coming from the ice machine. That's what that was. But if you don't know that, all of a sudden it's this creature sneaking into your house. Absolutely. Hey, I've got another one. You want to listen to this one? I have no choice. Well, you do. You absolutely do. I mean, let's be realistic. You just quit right now. Just tune you out and just walk away. <laughs> this is from Eric Brammer. And Eric Brammer said, thanks. Uh, he'd been listening to the podcast for a while. And he gave us a pretty good compliment. He said, your general positivity and enthusiasm for the hobby are a breath of fresh air, especially when it's apparently more popular to have a gaming podcast or podcast network, he says in quotes, centered on negativity. However, he goes in to criticize my opinion of the resistance. He says that I dislike the resistance because it enables certain dickish behavior in players. Side note, to be clear, the reason I don't like resistance is because if you are a dick, it is an advantage in that game. Anyway, he says he usually rolls his eyes at the claims and feels it just boils down to asshole players being assholes. And if someone's acting like that in a game, it's because they're an asshole. But this just leads into a discussion of the game is good with the right group, which is essentially meaningless, says Eric Brammer. But he goes ahead and he tells this story about how he was playing secret Hitler with his friends and family and his sister-in-law's boyfriend, Nathan, he named. So if you're listening, Nathan, Eric Brammer is calling you out and says that he was specifically trying to let the other team win. He was helping out the fascists in Secret Hitler, but realistically he was on the liberal team. And again, this is a hidden role game. So he was wondering why this guy was doing it, and he was just doing it to entertain himself. Almost like an Andy Kaufman type of joke, where it doesn't really make anyone in the situation laugh, it just makes the person laugh. He found this to be a frustrating experience, and then he references, he's reading a book called Things We Think About Games, and there's an intro written by Will Wheaton, and it's mentioned that players ought to try to play with a certain spirit of the game. In games like Descent, Eric writes, if the Overlord is really playing to win instead of playing as a GM of sorts, the adventures are pretty much screwed. So this immediately stuck out to me, says Eric, since it seemed to verbalize something that I think is often overlooked in the game. So anyways, he's just basically saying that games have a spirit, an attitude that you have to come into in order to really enjoy the game. I think I've been saying this all along because... You could break or cheat or ruin any game with just a really opposite attitude. It doesn't have to be a bad attitude, but an opposite attitude. Do you have any experiences like that? Yeah, I mean, that affects everything in board gaming just down to the simple stuff, like what game are we going to play today? Like, oh, do you guys want to play Twilight Imperium or do you want to play Love Letter, right? And people could just say, oh, I'm not in the mood. And that's sort of tacitly accepting that there is a mood to play certain kinds of games. And usually it's heavy or light, but I think even more specifically, there's a difference in mood and spirit that you need to be in to play Two Rooms at a Boom versus Werewolf, even though they're in the same genre. There are times where I want to sit down and not be moving around and, you know, Werewolf is probably better for that, right? But there are times yes. where I do want to be active and up and down and, and feel the time pressure. In fact, I've never been a big Eurogame fan, as I think you know, until I played with some of the Board With Life crew who were just saying, yeah, this is just a fun way to kill some time. We're going to talk and hang out. And Eurogames a lot of times feel very solitary and the interaction is just us hanging out and talking. So if you play it as a game, just competitively, it might actually be kind of boring, but if you play it as just an activity to be doing at the table, they can sort of come alive. 
So yeah, I think it affects everything, even down to our game design. You and I talk about what's the experience we want players to have, who are the right kinds of players for this game, who are we targeting it to. So yeah, I think spirit of the game is huge. And it can't cover all things, because you and I have also seen that in some other games. I don't want to get too specific. We've had games that we know are broken, straight up broken. And we've had designers say like, well, you really just shouldn't play it that way. That's not really in the spirit of the game. Yeah. I can remember a very specific example where we were like, well, there is a time where it crosses over from being broken to just being like, well, if you play in the spirit of the game, it shouldn't be. Your design should be robust enough to incentivize the right kind of play. Yeah, ideally the spirit isn't so important that the game doesn't work without it. It should be that the spirit just totally enhances the game. But I really appreciate and give people credit when they say I'm not in the mood because that is saying I'm not ready to match the spirit of that game. So props to them. But yeah, there is definitely this balance. Spirit should really enhance a game, but it shouldn't be required either. It's just that if you come with the right spirit, it will make the game amazing. If you don't come with any spirit, the game won't be as fun, but it will still work. And if you come in with the wrong spirit, you can break any game, but it should be hard to break a game and really obvious. Like I think in the example of Secret Hitler, you're really breaking the game just to break the game. Like, Perfect example is if you've ever played Werewolf and had somebody immediately flip over their role at the beginning of the game and say, oh, I'm a werewolf again. Sorry, I don't want to play if I'm going to be a werewolf. That's not technically against the rules, I would say, to just like destroy the game and quit. It is in my house. Yeah. I will murder but it, you. But it really breaks the spirit of the game. The spirit of the game is you play and you just try to play. And I would almost say that just goes into sportsmanship at that point. That's more the spirit of game, of play. Because we've talked before about sandbaggers and the worst thing can be is a sandbagger that basically says, I don't want to have or I'm not capable of having a good time. So I'm going to make sure nobody else has a good time. Right. I would much rather say like, oh, I don't feel like playing that game. You guys go ahead. I'll just hang out because I really, I know what I want personally as time goes on. I even want this out of my RPGs. I believe in play hard. I want to be able to play as hard as I want and be competitive and know at the end of the game, everyone's going to be okay. <laughs> Not going to be an asshole, but I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to win a game that is designed for some people to win and some people to lose. I do think there's things wrong with gloating or, you know, like making other people feel bad. Sportsmanship not only teaches you how to lose gracefully, but it should teach you how to win gracefully too. But it shouldn't teach you to not win when you can. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense to me. So let's suppose that you have a game that's Euro style and you want to spice it up. You ever consider transforming regular games into drinking games? Only every time anyone ever plays one of our games and suggests that. Well, let's move on to knighting a knave. We have a submission from Gary Pope, who no longer is happy being a knave, wants to be a knight. And he talks about his adventures with making Agricola a drinking game. This is Gary Pope from Late to the Table, and I'm not going to say if this is a good story or not until the end. I play games often, I play games with a ton of different people and a ton of my friends, and oftentimes we'll come up with variants and house rules. On this particular night, we thought of making a drinking version of Agricola. haven't played Agricola before, it's a farm simulating work replacement game. 
in which you're basically picking on an action every single turn to do something such as build a fence, grow crops, feed your family, etc. The game is extremely cutthroat and it's really hard to actually feed your family. In this game, we thought of making a drinking variant in which, after every single round, we would take a shot of liquor. We also thought whenever you have a family member, you would also have a shot of liquor as well. You could get up to, if I'm not mistaken, five family members. So, if you did everything, by the end of the game, you would most likely have had nine to ten shots or something around there. We're about an hour or so into this game and we're probably about five shots deep at this point and it became a strategy to almost not build a family even though when you're normally playing the game you want to have as big of a family as possible. It was crazy because no one was taking that action, everyone else was doing other things and it was getting to the point where people were breathing in a sigh of relief at the end of rounds where we didn't have to drink. Fast forward about two hours into the game, I think I've experienced my first ever semi-table flip. What happened was there was another round in which we had to create a family member, do our turns. The game is very cutthroat, there's not that many options to pick when you're doing your things. I managed to pin actually one of my friends into almost having to get a family member. Now, he could have decided against having a family member, but he would have severely fell behind in a game by a lot. He would have taken a lot of negative points. So I basically cornered him into either having to get a family member and have to take a shot or knock himself out of the game. It was hilarious because he basically went for a what the heck, Gary, to try to jump across the table like like, shove me on the shoulder. But that did not translate at all. We're always joking around with each other. We're guys in our 20s that still freaking wrestle occasionally. So he jumped across the table to push me in the shoulder, tripped, fell on this coffee table in which we're all playing this game on. I'm surprised the coffee table didn't smash because it was all glass and knocked over everything in the game and knocked everything off the table. And that just ended the game at that point. We were all on average six to seven shots deep. And it was a really long game. And at that point, we we're just like, yeah, we're not even going to bother trying to put this back together. We're just going to end it. To this day, whenever we try making a drinking variant, we always have to think of, is it going to be a Gricola amount of drinking? Or are we going to do a little bit casual? Nowadays, we replace the shots of liquor with two shots of beer or something like that. But yeah, that's my story. We always try to create variants in games, and just so happens in that one, we turn Agricola into somehow an even more cutthroat game. But hope you guys enjoyed that, and thanks for listening. Thanks for the show, guys. Have a good one. Tip the f- table moments. <laughs> <laughs> Tipsy table. <laughs> Just collapse into the table. I like that story. That's nice and lighthearted. Perfect music choice this time, by the way. Great, great music choice. Not too heavy, not too light. Thanks. Well, Sean, do you think Gary Pope deserves to be knighted with that story? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Welcome to the table, Gary. Yes! Welcome, Sir 
Gary Pope to the Tuesday nights of the gaming table. <laughs> so rise, Sir Gary Pope. I love the idea of crazy variants. The only example I have of a variant is I used to play with one friend in particular what we called pain poker because we have Cedar Point in Ohio in Sandusky, the best amusement park in the world. Realistically, it just always has the world record-breaking roller coasters. Thing about Cedar Point, every other year, I believe it is, they decide, let's build some type of ride that hasn't been done. Realistically, the rides have been done before, but they make it taller, they make it faster, so they can always claim like, hey, this is the tallest, fastest wooden roller coaster coaster they add in adjectives to throw it off but there's long lines and what we would do is we would play pain poker if you're waiting in line you don't have a poker table in front of you and you don't want to carry around chips to bid with so instead we would gamble pain for instance i raise you one slap i see your slap and i raise you a nose pull and eventually once we would show our hands the other player would basically get to beat the crap out of their victims. It's pretty clever, actually, and we had a lot of fun. Although this friend was a female, and I definitely had some people question my integrity because I was playing pain poker, and you're not supposed to do that male to female. But you know, that's how progressive I am. Yeah, I was about to say, this whole thing sounds like it descends into an orgy real quick. <laughs> It's like, yeah, well, I raise you a hand job. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I better get out of this. <laughs> uh, I fold. <laughs> and now the the hard thing about variants now is that we're publishers. Any significant variant starts to really look like a redesign. Well, is this really a variant or is this us saying this is how we would design this game? Oh, yeah, definitely. Hey, Sean, we're out of time, man. We should put this to a close, as they say. If you want to be part of Interaction Satisfaction, we will read your email and we will address it. You can write us podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. We're on the Twitter at PlayTKG. You can also check out our website, TuesdayNightGames.com. I'm Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. You can find me on the tweets at Alan Gerding and on the Facebook. How about you, Sean? You can find me on Twitter at at Sean McCoy, S-E-A-N-M-C-C. Oh, why? And if you go there, you actually see uh, print and play for a micro RPG I've been working on. Some of our playtest night nave already been playing it and sending us back feedback, which has been pretty cool. Nice. We should talk about that, too. But the main questions that we have for you right now is please keep on sending in your submissions for your Nave Tonight upgrade. Also, don't forget that we want to know how you think we should give away the special non-editions of World Championship Russian Roulette. So I think with that being said, this episode is... <laughs> 